In October of 2018, Super Typhoon U2, packing winds of 180 miles per hour, slammed into Saipan, the largest island of the Northern Mariana Islands, and in its wake, complete destruction. It was like a uh, really crazy, it was like the twilight zone, really. And that's April, who works with the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And she was in Saipan after the island and other parts of the Commonwealth were left reeling from the devastating impacts of the storm. There was a humanitarian crisis and um, a lot of the people were st still sleeping on the floor. They didn't have cots or blankets, food and water, and all of those supplies um, had to come from someplace else. Obviously, it took a long time to get the, the items there. Some items were brought over on boats and then most were brought over on planes. While April and her team were working to help the people of Saipan, there was an interesting rumor that came about. A rumor that there might be animals in need of help. Then they had also heard um, kind of a rumor that there was this old zoo um, that had been shut down after a typhoon in 2015. It was called uh, Typhoon Sotolor, and it had devastated the island as well. Uh, but supposedly the zoo still had some animals there. And so the USDA and I did an initial scouting mission out there and that's when we realized, okay, this zoo still has um, some animals here, and tiger, a lion, and a little monkey. And with the help of several agencies and organizations, the gears are put in place to rescue these animals from Saipan. Pretty amazing chain reaction where April had seen that the lion and tiger were really in bad shape, and so she had started making some calls and questions to other people in other agencies, including the USDA and other FEMA people, and, and said, hey, you know, isn't there a way we can help these animals? That's Pat, the executive director of the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Keensburg, Colorado. It was really amazing how, you know, went from just one person saying, you know, we really ought to do something, and then everybody else realizing that, you know, together they would be able to put this, this effort in. On episode 56 of Weather Hype, our second episode of 2019's National Weather Podcast Month, we talk with April and Pat about the recovery process for Saipan immediately after Super Typhoon U2, and share the story of Lambert the Lion and Tasha the Tiger, and their amazing journey from the middle of the Pacific to Colorado's Wild Animal Sanctuary, an over 10,000 acre sanctuary for more than 500 rescued animals. So stay tuned, because Weather Hype is coming your way next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born on a storm When I get gone, I get gone And I don't need any wrong to know better Put your faith in so today we are joined by April Lipinski. April, thanks so much for being on today. Of course, thank you, Min. So April, what's your uh, position, your title um, for FEMA Region 8? That's where you work, right? Yes, so I work out of the Denver office. I am the mass care specialist for individual assistance, which means I support um, the care of individuals who are affected by disasters with feeding, sheltering, and distribution of emergency supplies. So April, you were deployed to Saipan after Super Typhoon U2 struck in the island in October of 2018. Um, Saipan is the largest island of the Northern Mariana Islands, which happens to be a chain of islands and makes up a commonwealth of the United States. I think we mentioned before, I didn't know where Saipan was. Did you know before you were deployed there? Uh, yeah, I had a pretty good idea. Um, my geography uh, is okay, 
but I didn't know specifically where it was in the middle of the ocean yeah. and how long it would take to get there. How long did the flight take to fly over there? Uh, from Colorado, it was 25 hours. Oh, wow. A lot of different layovers. <laughs> so specifically, I guess I kind of looked on a map on Google and I try to like estimate how far it is. But um, for more context, Saipan is almost 3,000 miles north of Australia and 1,500 miles southeast of Japan. So it's really, really far away in a whole new world of its own. Um, but yeah, can you describe the experience? You were actually coming off of deployment um, to North Carolina to support Hurricane Florence recovery, and then you got the call to go to Saipan. Um, how was that like, just, just shifting from one place to another and then going to a place like Saipan that was so devastated by the typhoon? It was like uh, really crazy. It was like the twilight zone, really, because in North Carolina, I got to work kind of out of an office. It's called the JFO, um, the Joint Field Office. And so there's a lot of different agencies representing there, including FEMA, to help support disaster response and recovery. Uh, so I worked with a bunch of um, applicant services reservists who come and support uh, during times of disaster. Uh, and we had them working out of the shelters. There were numerous shelters open because we had about 20,000 people who uh, evacuated and went to shelters after Hurricane Florence made landfall. And so those folks were out there trying to make sure that uh, people could get back to their homes or if their homes were destroyed to ensure that they had um, other housing solutions. So I was supporting uh, about 70, well, I guess it was more like 50 um, applicant services people. Uh, and then when I went to Saipan, it, it was more of just kind of keeping people alive and making sure that they had the food and water necessary uh, for you know daily living. And so when you went to Saipan, getting supplies to such a remote location was really difficult. What was the process like even getting there at the beginning and then trying to figure out how to get those shipments of supplies to the island? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> we when I first showed up, the, the gentleman who kind of recruited me out there said to me, there is a humanitarian crisis in the shelters. And I had to work with a bunch of different um, DOD, branches of the DOD. So primarily I worked with the Army to get some of the supplies that were distributed to the island into the shelter so most of those supplies were just what what i said you know things that we need for daily living food and water um, a lot of the people were st still sleeping on the floor they didn't have cots or blankets and all of those supplies um, had to come from someplace else uh, they were shipped from the united states from various points of distribution obviously it took a long time to get the, the items there some items were brought over on boats and then most were brought over on planes and then eventually they headed to a warehouse and then we had to get them out of a warehouse and that's where the DOD came into play. They brought their big army trucks and troops and we were able to get um, their help to distribute those supplies into the shelters. So, I mean, obviously it was really hard and difficult to be working in an environment and working with um, you know, survivors in that uh, area that were so affected by this. Um, and you, you get to experience in some ways what it's like to, to see the pain and the loss and, and things like that. So, um, I mean, what kind of toll did that have on you as a person who is trying to do the best they could to help everybody there? Well, I guess, you know, this is my career and I've always been really focused on helping people who've been devastated by disasters. And this was kind of something I have a lot of passion for. So I, in, in a weird way, I find a lot of joy in helping people when they're experiencing 
maybe the worst time of their life. Um, and so seeing that I feel like affects me emotionally because I want them to be in a better place, but at the same time, I feel good that I'm there and other people are there to help them along with that journey. I know that with that support there, they'll in the end make it, yeah. you know, to a good place. And yeah. so, so it was hard, but at the same time, very rewarding. Yeah. And the people of Saipan, you said, were incredible, very warm, very welcoming. Yes, they're amazing. Uh, a lot of people who maybe traveled internationally have had similar experiences because Saipan is very close to Asia. There's a lot of different uh, people out there, um, you know, from the Asian continent. So there's a lot, lot of actually Japanese people and uh, Filipino people. And there's a lot of different languages spoken there, even though primarily people speak English. So it does kind of have that international feel to it. So people are a lot more warm and welcoming than I think uh, they are on the mainland. Um, everyone knows each other. Everyone's related in some way or neighbors with somebody. And so they all really take care of each other. And speaking of the people of Saipan, it left a mark on you and physically, because if I may ask about your tattoo that you have on your right arm, I, I saw that after your deployment and thought that was amazing. And, and you explained that um, you got it after the deployment or during the deployment, actually. Yes. Uh, well, I've always kind of wanted like a Polynesian tribal tattoo. And I figured, well, I'm here. I might yeah. as well get it. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the tattoo artist uh, is actually from American Samoa. I met uh, this tattoo artist through some local contacts um, that I worked with through the Commonwealth, through the public school system, and uh, it was a tattoo artist that he used because he's all tatted up. Yeah. And uh, he was funny because the tattoo artist, actually, his business still didn't have electricity, so he had to come to my hotel and do my tattoo in the hotel. <laughs> oh my gosh. What yeah. an experience. Yeah. Wow. So what does it mean, or is there any... Um, like the lines and the shapes and things like that. Yeah, so this is like a tra traditional Polynesian tattoo, and um, it means different things depending on the section of it. So one is means like success, and another one is the warrior, which means strength. One is for bonding with family and friends. Um, and then there's another one for freedom and balance. So you can kind of choose uh, like what you want, and then he'll just kind of draw it th then and there, and then go ahead and tattoo it on you. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And you know, we've we've talked about some of the um, the pain, the loss on the island, but also there were some positive stories that came out of your time in Saipan. And so, from what I understand, um, you played a role in the rescue of wild animals on the island. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, so this was an incredible experience. Um, what ended up happening is through my job with FEMA, we will interact a lot with the United States Department of Agriculture, so the USDA. And the USDA uh, will usually work a lot with um, ag issues, obviously. And so in Saipan, they were focusing a lot of attention on um, some of the issues with the cattle uh, that they had experienced after the storm. But then they had also heard um, kind of a rumor that there was this old zoo um, that had been shut down after a typhoon in 2015. It was called uh, Typhoon Sotolor, and it had devastated the island as well. And at that time, the zoo couldn't reopen. So it was a private zoo, and so it wasn't kind of eligible for different uh, federal funding or anything like that. Uh, but supposedly, the zoo still had some animals there. And so the USDA and I did an initial scouting mission out there 
And when we went, we did in fact see a tiger. And that's when we realized, okay, this zoo still has um, some animals here. And, and so uh, we made another appointment with the owner of the zoo and went back uh, with a couple of other people. And that's when we found out that the zoo had a tiger, a lion, and a little monkey. So what happened after that? Because eventually um, they were taken off the island and they ended up here in Colorado. How did that process kind of work itself out? Yeah, it was it was amazing, really. I mean, obviously, I, I live here in Denver. And so when I found out they were coming here, I was uh, really happy and excited that I could see them here on the mainland. Uh, there were a lot of people and agencies involved in the transfer of the animals. So what ended up happening is the USDA, once we met the animals, we saw that they were in really terrible condition. Uh, both of the lion and the tiger were starving, uh, and the lion was actually sick as well. So uh, the USDA reached out to Tigers in America, and then Tigers in America reached out to the Wild Animal Sanctuary, which is based um, just east of Denver. Um, and they're one of the largest sanctuaries on the mainland that will rescue uh, big predators from all around the world. And once the Wild Animal Sanctuary heard about uh, the lion and tiger in Saipan, they quickly organized um, transportation of the cages for the animals through, um, through Samaritan's Purse and Samaritan's Purse brought over the cages on an airplane all the way to the island, that 25-hour trip like I was talking about. And uh, Pat, the director of the Wild Animal Sanctuary, and his son, Casey, uh, flew over as well. And I mean, this was all within about a week of kind of identifying um, the issue. So they, they really um, quickly went out. Um, additionally, uh, the DOD um, was involved because they helped to pay for the transfer of the, uh, the animals in some way. So Lambert the lion, Tasha the tiger, are now in Kingsburg, just outside of Denver at the Wild Animal Sanctuary. And you've had a chance to see them over the last few months and see how they progress, yeah? Yes, so they look a lot better. They were obviously very scared when they got here because it was a long trip and, and still uh, you know, unhealthy because they hadn't eaten and cold because they came pretty much in the winter yeah. <laughs> from Saipan where it's about 90 degrees every day and tropical. Uh, so there was a little bit of getting used to the elements and uh, I've gone to visit a couple of times and, and it's been wonderful to just see them both gain a lot of weight. And Lambert is actually very, Lambert the lion, is very um, comfortable with the other lions. Um, they still have him separated to like gain gain weight and everything, but he's so social with people and the other lions that they know that they'll be able to release him in a, in a habitat with another pride. So hopefully within the next year, he'll be able to do that and um, he's very he's very happy here. And Tasha is very shy. <laughs> she really doesn't like snow in her paws and it's been a big snow year for us. In fact, there was just a blizzard a couple of weeks ago here. <laughs> so Tasha um, doesn't like to step out of her little tiger house, which is uh, heated, <laughs> to go outside still. She touches the snow with her paws and yeah. is like, oh, and backs away so but yeah they're doing amazing and it's so great to to really see them um you know transition into a new home and i know um you know the family before that had the lion and the tiger they really did care for them and it was really difficult uh, for them to say goodbye um, frank the owner of the private zoo 
had approached the USDA and FEMA to to actually get the, the animals off the island. So we didn't ask him. He asked us to do it. And we were able to work in conjunction with all the agencies and obviously the Wild Animal Sanctuary to make that happen. So it was a very um, emotional thing for them to say goodbye to the animals. And I was there when the animals um, were being transported from the zoo to the airport. And, you know, everybody was crying, the family. And, and I still keep in touch with the family and send photos to them. And they're, they're hoping to actually come out and visit the animals um, next year. Here's your Weather Ready Nation spring weather safety message. Hi, my name is Becky and I'm one of the co-hosts of Ice Station Houseman and we have a message to get you weather ready. The spring season is here and we want to prepare you for spring weather threats, which includes tornadoes. Do you know how you would be notified if a tornado or severe weather threatens you and your family? Make sure you have multiple reliable ways to get information when severe weather strikes. Some methods include a NOAA weather radio, smartphone alerts, local news, and outdoor tornado sirens. However, remember that these tornado sirens are only meant to warn you when you are outside. Also, be sure these methods can alert you even when you may be asleep. For more information, please visit the NOAA Weather Ready Nation website at weather.gov WRN. It's a chilly Saturday afternoon in Colorado. The sun is shining, there's a little snow on the ground from an earlier storm, and we're walking around the wild animal sanctuary with Pat and April and a few other guests. Pat's taking us over to an area where a few lions are kept in smaller enclosures, most for just a short time so that they can slowly acclimate to their new home. Once they're comfortable, they're moved to a large acreage natural habitat where they can roam around more freely. After taking a look around the different lion and tiger habitats, Pat and I sit down for a one-on-one -on -one to learn more about the rescue of Lambert and Tasha, and also to learn more about the Wild Animal Sanctuary. Well, my name is Pat Craig. I'm the executive director at the Wild Animal Sanctuary. We're uh, a large carnivore sanctuary in the United States, and we're located just outside of Denver, Colorado. Um, and so we rescue lions, tigers, bears, and other large carnivores from captive situations that are either illegal or abusive or something like that. You told me a little bit earlier about some of the stories of the lions and tigers you've rescued across the United States. Um, whether right. they're in a, a bad habitat or, or just not really neglected a little bit, right? Yeah, um, the, most people don't know that there's about 30,000 lions, tigers, bears, and other large carnivores that are outside the zoo system in the United States. So they're not in a nice AZA zoo or someplace like that. They're in somebody's backyard or basement or apartment or a really bad roadside zoo, like some little, you know, small thing that somebody tried to do on their own. And um, so basically there's just all these large carnivores that, you know, it's probably 10 times the population of what's in the zoo system that are spread all over the United States. And, and uh, so we've been dealing with that problem for the last 30 years. Okay. And so um, April Lipinski at FEMA, she had mentioned that um, about Tasha the tiger and Lambert the lion. Can you tell me about how you learned about them over in Saipan? Right. 
So we, um, we rescue all over the United States, but we also do international rescues. And we've been all over the world rescuing the same kind of animals from other situations. And we got a call from uh, an organization called Tigers in America. And they had been contacted by um, either the USDA or, or FEMA or somebody that um, April had started a whole chain reaction of it. But we can get to that in a minute. But either way, they they finally thought, okay, we, if we do get these lion and tiger rescued, then where could they go, and who can go get them? And that's when they called Tigers in America, and Tigers in America is just a, a support organization. They don't actually take animals in, sure. so they knew to call us and, and ask us to be the ones that actually helped go get the tigers and then give them a permanent home, the tiger and the lion, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, you were contacted by them and, and worked with them, um, so you actually traveled to Saipan to see Tasha and Lambert. Yeah, um, we were very fortunate because anytime we're doing an international rescue, there's you know a myriad of things that you've got to get lined up, everything from the documents and paperwork and permits and all those. But, but more importantly, having connections in that country, whichever country it is, to help coordinate logistics for you and do a lot of those things so that you know that you're going to be able to get the, the animals to the airport and get them on uh, a cargo plane. And so we were very fortunate that there was um, relief planes that were flying into Saipan because of the typhoon they had. And all these large cargo planes were coming in with everything with generators and tarps and lots of supplies for people um, who were in a bad situation from the storm. And they were leaving empty. And so luckily that um, that's where April and other people put two and two together and thought, well, maybe there's a way to get these animals who were stuck in a little tiny zoo that had been pretty much decimated three years earlier by another typhoon. And, mm-hmm. um, and so they were really concerned about getting them out of there. But in a normal situation, it might have been a lot more difficult. But in this situation with those cargo planes, it, it was a great opportunity to take advantage of that. Sure. And do you remember the agencies and organizations that were um, helping to coordinate all of these efforts? Yeah, you know, we learned as, as we got called at the last minute because we only we got called on Monday and we were flying out Friday. So it was oh, wow. a pretty pretty quick turnaround to, to learn about it and then get our uh, equipment and, and medical supplies organized and sent you know, ahead of us. So it was a really quick turnaround. But from going there and, and learning as we were going, we found out that basically it was a pretty amazing chain reaction where April had seen the the lion and tiger at this zoo and it like i say when we call it a zoo it was more or less closed from the previous storms and still pretty um torn up from the those but then this recent typhoon did more damage and um but the lion and tiger were really in bad shape and so she had started making some calls and questions to other people in other agencies including the usda and other fema people and and said hey you know isn't there a way we can help these animals especially with these planes that are available and at one point, um, she said she talked to a commander that was there to help kind of run the airport because, again, the airport had no power mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it was pretty um, decimated. They had a lot of damage as well. And so the commander, just by luck, even though he had been asked by April, you know, could you do something? Or he happened to bump into some pilots from Samaritan's Purse, which is one of the organizations flying there. And he ran into the pilots at a rental car agency line. They were waiting in line to, to rent cars. And he said, hey, any chance you guys could take some lion, a lion and a tiger with you? <laughs> and they said, well, we're leaving We're leaving now, but, but we're coming back in a few, you know, a couple weeks or whatever, and, and we could check. And so his his comment kind of went to them, and then they took it back and asked their higher-ups if, if they would be willing to let them bring the lion and tiger back. And when they said it was okay, then... 
everybody else had to start saying, oh, well, this could really happen and we, we better make sure that, you know, each agency was willing to participate and sure. and all the people that knew about them. And, and so it trickled all the way up to, like I said, Tigers in America got the call when they finally, everybody finally agreed that this was going to happen. So it was really amazing how, you know, went from just one person saying, you know, we really ought to do something. And then everybody else realizing that, you know, together they would be able to put this this effort and make yeah. it happen. Yeah. yeah. So when uh, in 2018 were Lambert and Tasha transported to Keensburg? I think it was, just, I'm guessing here, I think it was December 8th, 9th, somewhere in there. Okay. So, um, if I remember right, I think it was that first week of December. Um, and again, you know, that time of year here, you know, in Colorado it's winter, but these animals can acclimate really well. It's just we had to pre prepare to help them acclimate. You know, sure. normally if we rescue an animal in the summer, it has plenty of time in the fall and early winter to mm -hmm. acclimate and they do acclimate well lions and tigers do really well in cold weather they just need time to sure. grow grow the fur um so it was really one of the considerations was okay well if we do rescue we have to help them accelerate that process and bring them back and of course they have heated houses and things to go into but um anyway so when we went over there you know the big concern at that point was making sure that we could get them get the equipment that we needed to get our crates to the zoo and then get the animals from the zoo back to the airport and get them loaded and because all the trucks and forklifts and you name it were pretty much sequestered to all the relief agencies where you know people needed all that stuff to rebuild and sure so it was pretty concerning that we would even have access to a good truck and so luckily the USDA helped us kind of wrangle a truck that was being used by many agencies but we were we had a big truck with a crane that helped us lift the crates onto the truck and all that so that worked out really well good and the transport itself went very well and they are slowly acclimating and i mean they look like they've gained a lot of, of weight yeah. and they're getting a little bit healthier can you talk a little bit about the, the past few weeks that they've been here yeah you know the thing that when we got contacted about this lion and tiger they sent some pictures and the the pictures really were you know told a lot the, the lion you could see all of his ribs his backbone his vertebrae his his uh, hip bones, everything. He was really emaciated, and the tiger wasn't far behind him. And so the owner of the zoo had been un unable to feed these guys for quite a while, and they were basically starving to death. So um, one of our big concerns was, you know, were they going to be healthy enough to even make the trip back um, to the United States? And so we actually sent food ahead of time for the, about the week before we got there. We okay. were sending food, or I shouldn't say sending food, but we were paying somebody on the island to provide fresh meat to them since the owner couldn't do it. And so that helped tremendously to give them about a week's worth of good meat before we actually loaded them up. And so then bringing them back here, our big concern was to definitely put some weight on them and get their muscles built. And that's pretty normal for us because a lot of the animals we rescue are, are usually under underfed or malnourished and, and have other issues, medical issues and things like that. So when they came back, we kept them in, the, in our veterinary clinic for a couple of days to, to do some tests and deworm them and do a few things like that because um, they definitely had a few minor issues going on. Gotcha. And so you were, we met Lambert and Tasha today and they're beautiful. And, and so Tasha is a little bit more shy right now. Keeps her herself a little bit when it compares to seeing other tigers, right? But you said she, she loves humans and seeing people. Yeah, I mean, both of them had been raised um, by people. All Most all the animals we rescue were born in captivity and have never been in the wild, so it's, it's not like they know what's out there. They really um, only know what the, the captive world is like. And so for them, what was weird was the zoo owner bought them when they were like six or nine months old, and 
So he didn't really bottle raise them, but he took them and then he put them in the cages and they were in separate areas of the zoo. They were kept by themselves for 15 years. And so neither one had ever seen another tiger, another lion. Mm -hmm. So they were really um, kind of had a skewed outlook. They didn't even really know they were lions and tigers. They, they had never seen one. And so that's pretty normal for a lot of the animals we get. And when they finally come here, of course, to the sanctuary where we have 500 lions, tigers, and bears, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they're immersed in this gigantic pool of other lions and tigers. Mm -hmm. And they're not in the same spaces with them, like in the same cage, but they can see them. And so for African lions, it's a different story. They're very social. And Lambert being kept by himself for 15 years was more or less torture for him because he knew he wanted to be with somebody. He just didn't know what. And sure. when he got here and he saw other lions and heard him roar, he was ex really excited to be in that environment where Tasha is a tiger. And when she came here, they, they aren't driven by the same instincts of being in social groups. Um, it doesn't mean they're not social. It just means that they're not used to being and living, cohabitating. And so when she got here and saw, you know, dozens of other tigers, she was concerned. You know, sure. And that's a normal reaction to think that maybe she's not safe. And so what it takes is for her to have enough time to realize that her enclosure is is separate from theirs and that she's got protection and there's no way anybody's going to come into her space. And and so every day that goes by, she gets more and more comfortable with that concept. And so the good news is that she does still like people. And so every day we visit with her so that she gets some, some companionship sure. and somebody to talk to her and, and spoil her and give her some treats. <laughs> and, and so she's pretty happy about that. But when she does come out, the first thing she does is look over at the other tigers just to make sure they're far away and not near. Because we did relocate her to an area that she's by herself so she doesn't have to be next to the other tigers and that's helped tremendously as well and so you know it's a matter of a few weeks and a few months and she'll get calm and realize that she's perfectly safe and then she'll be more open to uh, building a relationship with other tigers and eventually getting to live in a habitat with other tigers good good and so you mentioned too in the next few months or even years these uh, lambert and tasha should be enjoying a life that's much better than what they were when they were in captivity. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that's different about our sanctuary than pretty much any other captive situation is we we always want to make sure they get to live in a big natural habitat as, as big as we can make it. And so here at the facility near Kenisburg, we have five to 25 acre size habitats. And so every animal that gets here, unless they're really, really old and just too old to go out and live in a big space, um, gets rehabilitated and then they get to go and live in one of those habitats. And so Lambert, um, very shortly, because he's progressing so quickly, he'll be able to live in a probably a 15-acre or 20-acre habitat with a couple other lions probably within the next few months. Wow. Where Tasha, it'll probably take six months or more, but she'll eventually get to where she has a friend or two and that she likes, and and then she'll be able to move into a habitat. So we, we de definitely have to buy a lot more land so that we have that ability to give them natural spaces versus keeping them in just a regular cage. So out there, you know, they don't have a roof over their head. They just have the fence that's, you know, a large, large area. And we um, just opened a new sanctuary in southern Colorado that is 9,000 acres. So we're building much bigger habitats down there where they're, you know, anywhere from 75 to 300 acres. Wow. That's awesome. And so if people want to come to the wild animal sanctuary mm -hmm. um, how can they do that yeah so the the sanctuary is open to the public the one in Kenisburg and uh, we're just outside of Denver it's only 32 miles outside of Denver and um, so it's pretty easy to get to but if they go to the website which is wildanimalsanctuary.org um, they can learn about you know we're open seven days a week and, and how to get here and what to expect and 
but basically we have an elevated walkway that goes over many of the habitats because animals are very territorial, all animals and even people. So having people on the ground is a threat to these mm -hmm. animals. Just like when you go to the zoo and you see a lion or a tiger pacing, that's because they feel that threat that there's all these strangers standing right there. And so our elevated walkway was designed to not put that pressure on them so they don't consider the air or sky to be territory. Sure. So you could be walking 10 feet above a tiger and they could care less. Whereas if you were 10 feet outside their enclosure on the ground, they would be very worried about that. And just like Tosh is worried about those other tigers, yeah. they'd be worried about strangers they don't know. And so people come here, they go up on a walkway and it goes, it's a mile and a half long walkway that goes over a, a large number of habitats where they'll go over lions and tigers and bears and get to see them. And all these animals were rescued from similar situations. And so it's, it's all um, open for education. And so people learn about the issue and um, learn about where all these animals came from. Yeah. You're doing great things here, Pat, at the Wild Animal Sanctuary. If people want to donate their time, resources, what kind of things could they do? Yeah, the, the sanctuary is still operated with primarily a lot of volunteers. We have over 160 volunteers. People can sign up to volunteer here and come out and um, all volunteers work between animal care and education shifts. And so if they sign up that way, if they want to just come visit, they can. But otherwise, we do have school groups that come out as well. And um, we do have interns that come here for longer periods of time. So going to the website, all that information is on there. Um, and so that's the best way to start. But visiting is the first thing that we tell people because it's really hard, no matter how many pictures you see or how many videos, it's not the same as coming here in person. And when you see how big in the, the scope of this operation is in person, then you have a better idea of how you could help. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Pat? No, we just really appreciate people listening and learning about the problem. That's why we are open to the public is so that more people realize animals like Lambert and Tasha were you know, stuck in a really bad situation. And we're thankful that people cared enough to do something and give, you know, get us involved and we were able to rescue them. Great. Yeah. Special thanks to April Lipinski with FEMA and Pat Craig with the Wild Animal Sanctuary for giving us their time for this episode. Before we leave you though, we wanted to share a little tidbit from April who actually adopted Lambert. And the word adopted is in air quotes since you can't really see me saying it. So I adopted Lambert the lion and many of you might be familiar with um, how, that whole, how that whole adoption process works. but. Essentially, all I do is pay like $40 a month, and then that helps provide, you know, care and food to Lambert. And then I got a cool little photo and certificate, so. Nice. Mm -hmm. And also, you are now volunteering your time at the Animal Sanctuary as well. Yeah, well, I've always loved animals. It's just kind of who I am, and that was always kind of the second job that I thought I would have, you know, working with wild animals. and. And through this whole experience and then finding out that the wild animal sanctuary is pretty much in my backyard, I thought, well, this is obviously um, a sign that, you know, I want to pursue this. So it's only 16 hours a month. I mean, I don't have a lot of time. I have a full-time job, but uh, it's amazing to go out there. And um, in fact, yesterday I was out there cleaning out Lambert's uh, uh, pen. So <laughs> <laughs> it's come full circle for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. You can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at weatherhype and on email at weatherhype at gmail.com. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, and check us out on any major podcast platform. And my co-host, Castle Williams, will be back next time for more episodes of Weatherhype. So until next time, stay hyped. <laughs>